in the last episode of Wildlife Kingpin. This was just a notorious hub for industrial trafficking of wildlife products. You know, in Africa, rangers and poachers were dying for products that were openly for sale. So the intelligence we received on the ground in Vietnam led to a focus on a number of individuals and among them a trafficker known as Arnam. To me about this pair was that they spoke relatively fluent Chinese and they took out a good eight to ten pieces of large from rhino horns. It was a show off, you know, showing off his, his wealth. You know, he just didn't take notice of people around him. So it made it quite easy to get in close to him. From the Wildlife Justice Commission, this is Wildlife Kingpin, the rise and fall of Arnam. Episode 2. Ivory rhino horns, these two are the most often seen. All different types of um, ivory, elephant ivories and, and rhino horns, raw tusks before the skins being polished, all the polished ivory products and the processed ivory products, bangles, bracelets, lucky buckles, you name it. This is Jimmy, an undercover operative working for the Wildlife Justice Commission, whose name has been changed to protect his identity. A small quantity, large quantity, up to a beautifully carved, they call it a ghost carved ball with multiple layers of ivory being carved while being loose from each other. And each of them can ring um, while being carved on each layer. It was absolutely fascinating carving work. And you will be very often tested, um, especially when you're talking to higher level traders or the leaders, kingpins of the network. You definitely don't want to appear as someone who don't even know the most recent price in Asian market while you're talking to an African trader in Africa. You definitely want to know what incidents have happened in the past of seizures and arrests to avoid your products being seized. The criminals that are involved in wildlife crime are not the same sort of criminals that you would see in drugs or human trafficking or firearms trafficking. Steve Carmody is the Director of Programs at the Wildlife Justice Commission and has over 30 years experience as a former Australian police detective. You know, they don't have that level of sophistication that we see in other crime types and, and very few of them have been worked by law enforcement the way that drug dealers are worked every day. Um, so they're not used to methodologies, they're not used to the technologies that law enforcement can bring to bear in respect to this. We very quickly identified that a number of them had contacts in other parts of the world. A lot of them were doing business with people in Laos and some of them were dealing directly with suppliers in Africa. This is Dave, a former British police officer with over 20 years experience who is an investigator working with the Wildlife Justice Commission. Dave's real name has been withheld to protect the ongoing nature of his work. The tiger stuff was invariably coming from farms in Laos and in Vietnam itself. And the, the other stuff, like the big multi-ton shipments of ivory and, and the shipments of, of rhino horn, which were coming from Africa, were being organised by predominantly Vietnamese gangs that had footmen that were stationed in those countries. And uh, to an extent, they, they still are. That's how they operate. After the Wildlife Justice Commission commenced Operation Phoenix to investigate wildlife trafficking in Vietnam, it began to narrow in on a trader called Arnam, who was initially identified as a broker, but was quickly moving up the criminal hierarchy in Vietnam. Well, in a few days, I think it was about 
The WJC investigators gave their target Arnam a codename. The codename was Bert. His second in charge, Afung, was codenamed Ernie. Uh, we identified a number of associates. Um, first one was uh, codenamed Ernie. We gave them all Sesame Street names initially. So we had a Bert, an Ernie, an Elmo, a Grover, an Oscar. And then uh, we ended up identifying so many that were in the trade, we actually ran out of Sesame Street characters, so we moved to the Muppets. The first approach was done online. So they were uh, peddling their stuff on online platforms, Facebook, Zalo, that sort of thing. And they were attracting customers that way. They, they, they had return customers, don't get me wrong, that they were doing business with, but they were open for new business. And that's how our operatives got, got in, got the initial introductions. After that, invariably they'd, they'd meet. Bert and Ernie would call it on to a uh, to a coffee shop. I remember again, it took very long time for us to even start talking about the specifics of the sighting and the products. I remember on the day that we were supposed to uh, view another batch of products, but it was changed last minute right before I was supposed to be taken to that location that the owner was not happy to show to anyone at that particular time. After a previous sighting of 20 kilograms of rhino horn, Arnam could no longer offer the products as they had been sold on. And Afon was able to secure another batch of products and he dropped me off at a location in Hanoi. And then they were taken in a car to a, another location I was picked up by another unknown Vietnamese male at a street-side cafe shop, and he drove me to the final nail shop. And I could notice on the way, he was actually making turns, he was looking back, he was speeding up and, spe and slowing down, practicing some basic anti-surveillance. arriving at the nail shop I, I was quite surprised because it's literally at the at the street front uh, on the ground floor of a street front nail shop you, you had to have a, a little twisted ways to be able to enter that place where I saw about 25 to 30 pieces of back horns given rhinos have both front and back horns each back horn represents a single rhino life in the illegal trade the front horns which are larger are more desirable to traders. One of our team uh, that was in there viewing the product was able to communicate to me that, yeah, the product was in there, but it was a significant amount of rhino horn, you know, worth tens of thousands of dollars. It was one of the largest quantity in terms of pieces of rhino horns I saw, and all of them were back horns, which means that there were equal amount of, at least equal amount of front horns that were stored elsewhere, or if, if not already sold to other customers. There were people um, just unpacking these horns from, from paper and tapes, and there were another person that were using a hairdryer, a blow dryer, to blow dry the horns. And I was told later that because they 
they were very fresh after the rhinos were killed, um, the horns were obtained, so there were still some molding um, of the flesh and the blood at the at the end of the of the back horn. So they were so they were using the blow dryer to dry them up to to help reduce the smell. This was the second sighting of rhino products that Arnam and Arfung had set up through their network. However, on this occasion, the WJC investigators would not be acting alone. So we knew where it was, where it was located. We knew the, the packages that it was contained in and, and we had a location. So at that point, I called in the, the Vietnamese cops who, who knew we were working the, the job anyway. And uh, they put together a team uh, to come and conduct the raid. The WJC investigators were in contact with the Vietnamese Environmental Police through a go-between in the form of a local NGO called the Education for Nature Vietnam. Unfortunately, it took a, a long time for them to obtain the necessary paperwork they needed to go in through the door. So but the, the place was quite hostile. We weren't, be, we weren't able to get as close as we would have liked, uh, but we were able to observe some of the, the, the comings and goings. And uh, we witnessed one of the bags of rhino horn come out through the back and went on a, a, a guy carried it on the back of a, a moped and just disappeared in the alleys. But we were unable to, to keep with him, so we lost a proportion of that consignment. As their hopes of a successful resolution vanished like the rhino horn courier into the winding streets of Hanoi, the Vietnamese police took up positions around the nail shop and waited into the night. It was just after nightfall that a man opened the rear door of the nail salon and was met by officers from the Vietnamese Environmental Police Unit. A quick search of the premises identified 18 rhino horns weighing 13.9 kilograms. When you consider that law enforcement operate under pretty much the same rules globally in respect to search warrants and the time limitations that are imposed by courts on issuing those warrants or magistrates. You know, it's no good going to a law enforcement agency six months after the event. They'll then need to try to find something that identifies some recency around the information so they can go and get a warrant. But it's very different when you can put product in a room and show them that that product is there. And, you know, we found that in Vietnam that the environmental police were fantastic when we could put product in a room. A lot of NGOs can write reports that are historical by the time they get on the desk of anyone that can do anything about it. But where we try and be different is we'll give the cops something that is up to the minute, it's actionable. We'll give them a door and we'll say, if you go in through that door right now, this is what you're likely to find. So also in 2017, the law in Vietnam changed, which meant the products like ivory and rhino horn now carried a much heavier sentence. And this had an almost immediate impact upon criminal dynamics. Sarah Stoner is the Director of Intelligence at the Wildlife Justice Commission. So at the same time in 2017, we started to see rhino horn being seized in much larger quantities. And this was a very obvious trend. And the intelligence suggested at the time that larger batches of rhino horn were being smuggled from Africa using much more sophisticated concealment methods. And we believe it was at this point that Nam saw an opportunity to make a lot more money. So Nam and Fong began to distance themselves from the products whilst the deals were being made and actually instead took on a much more influential role. 
As this global trend in growing seizures of larger stockpiles of rhino horn was emerging, the price of ivory continued to drop, while the price of rhino horn stayed stable. So for criminals like Nam, it's a much more attractive commodity and his, as his network are able to remove it in much smaller quantities than ivory, but still, you know, yield a good profit. Arnam's position in the rhino horn supply trade was elevated to investigators, when in August 2017, he sent through a single image of 76 complete rhino horns, wrapped up and stacked, as if they were laid out for sale in a street market. I definitely remember that image. It was a very um, shocking image from the investigative perspective, from the undercover or predator perspective. It was one of the largest quantity of rhino horns we've ever seen. I have certainly ever seen stored at one uh, particular location where 76 rhino horns were all piled up in three different piles, sorted by different sizes, front horns, um, back horns, uh, big front horns, and smaller front horns, um, wrapped up in an unknown location. The 76 horns that Arnam sent us the photograph of was a really pivotal moment in the investigation. It really brought it home, his access to wildlife products. 76 horns was not something that I ever anticipated seeing in the one image. Not being offered for sale by traffickers anyway. You know, at minimum, you're looking at probably minimum 38 rhinos there. So, you know, it was a, it was a pivotal moment and it really brought home the scale of, of his operation. In the next episode of Wildlife Kingpin. He was smart enough to know that he couldn't be in the room with the product. In fact, Nam was making so much money that he was really struggling to find ways to launder it. He shared pictures of piles and piles. We made the decision that oh, we're going to follow the lady. We were 100% happy that we had the location of the ivory. Wildlife Kingpin is an original series brought to you by the Wildlife Justice Commission. Be sure to subscribe to this channel on iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud. Music in this episode is from Kevin McLeod and sourced from Incompetech.com. To read more about the investigation into Arnam, you can visit the Wildlife Justice Commission website at wildlifejustice.org and download the full report, Arnam, The Downfall of Vietnam's Wolf of Wall Street. You can also learn more about the work of the Wildlife Justice Commission at their website or by following the organisation on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook.